0: running now okay fine we are now on the air hello again and welcome to bone ditch by ian bird my name is ian bird and this is bone ditch my series of short stories read out as podcasts you can read the stories themselves and find out more at my website which is www.boneditch.wordpress.com but for right now let's read the next story which is Gobbit 11 and is called Living in a Plutocracy. Pixie woke up before me. Better instincts. Wolves sleep better than rabbits, after all. She sensed the danger first and leapt out of bed. The fuck is wrong with you, I said. She looked terrified, but not of me. I have to confess, that gave me pause. Can't you you feel that, she said. She was just this close to putting the fear into me. Only my narcissistic disappointment at having my special weekend interrupted was holding back my sense of self-preservation. Last night had been my monthly blowout. Four consecutive weeks of 90 hours at work and a weekend off at last. Ripped to the tits with blow, booze and my favourite 48-hour girl. I should be asleep, God fuck it, not facing the fucking day. What is it, Jesus Christ, what? Pixie was scrambling into her clothes. She wasn't even looking at me. She wasn't even looking at the pile of cash I'd left on her table. I've got to get out of here. Just then there was a knock at the door and Pixie looked like someone had just punched her in her childhood. ''Oh, fuck,'' she said. She was paralysed. ''Dear, headlights paralysed. ''No, no, don't bother yourself. I'll get it.'' I dragged myself out of bed, pulled on my bathrobe and clambered down from the mezzanine floor over to the door of my penthouse. I opened it and Pixie actually screamed. I turned back to look in her direction but she was already fleeing by me out into the corridor and out of the story itself while a stranger brushed past me in the opposite direction. ''The fuck?'' This stranger was about six feet tall in ridiculous knife heels and wearing a black leather coat that dropped almost to the floor. She was rake thin and her face was entirely hidden by the wide brimmed black hat that slouched on her head like a rotten halo. Long fingers twitched in black gloves tugging at the scarlet silk scarf draped around her face and shoulders. She undid a silver pin from the scarf and dropped both, carelessly, onto my couch. Jesus, that pin looked sharp and my couch didn't need that. I reached automatically for the goddamn thing as she removed her hat. She dropped that too and suddenly I forgot about the pin. I couldn't take my f- eyes from her face. She didn't have one. Beneath her raven black hair, which rolled in waves like the bastard sea at night, was a bleached white skull. Deep within her three eye sockets I could make out the tiniest flecks of fire, but otherwise all that was there was something that must have been dead for over a hundred years, staring at me and smiling. I was still hallucinating wildly, clearly. But what else is life? Her voice was music, played backwards at midnight. Sorry to wake you, she said. I'm a headhunter. What are you doing here? I'm here to hunt for a head, of course. Is yours available? I should have been scared, but I'd always known that this day would come. I'd always known that I would get the offer one day. There's always a better vantage, and only arseholes can be content with their view when they recognise that. You have to keep climbing. Shit is always rising. Of course I'm available, I said. Once I was dressed, she led me out into the city. She had a car waiting. She had booked a restaurant. She didn't eat, but cradled a tumbler of whiskey and sipped from it, somehow. The rest of the place was deserted. It was the damnedest thing, but the longer I looked at the skeleton in front of me, the more natural it seemed. I mean... It was fucking unnatural, and just having had her there in my home made my feelings ache. But it became somehow less unnatural by the minute. Like hearing about the death of your mate, you know? Horrible on the first day. But no one feels horrible forever, do they? What's the job offer, I asked. It'll change your life. Are you in? What's the job? It's on the scale where you make of it what you want. Your old life will end, but the possibilities are literally out of this world. You'll be able to make whatever life you want on the other side of the decision. Think of everything up until now as just preparation to get you to the other side. Everything up until now will be spent and gone, if you go for it, but you'll be able to take back control of your life. My life's pretty good, I said. Yes, for a rat in a maze. You think you can choose what direction you take, but they built the maze and they put you in it. Worse than that, you're just like everyone else. Answering to so many people, it sounds like you have a choice. Take this position and you'll never have to answer to anyone ever again. You'll be able to control your own boundaries. ''What's the job?'' I said for a third time. Somehow the grin got wider. ''The devil.'' I was on my fifth course, some animal I suspected had been extinct for years. She was still drinking. She wasn't drunk. I thought that maybe the white of her skull wasn't as gleaming as it had been, but that might just have been because her fangs were beginning to glow brighter. ''This is insane,'' I said. ''Insanity is only a legal term,'' she replied. ''It isn't recognised medically or spiritually or morally for that matter.'' ''There's no such thing as the devil.'' that's why they're recruiting. Besides, there's no such thing as lots of things, but we still have them. We still need them. File the devil that way if it makes it easier for you. Why do you need a devil now? The last one quit, she said. That doesn't sound very plausible. It's a hard job, she replied. Lots of responsibility. If the Pope can quit, why can't the devil? What does the devil do? I asked. Whatever the devil wants to do, that's the point. The devil makes the devil's own business. The rumours are true, there's a lot of real estate to manage. But there's a lot of land in Texas, and the governor says that a lot of it takes care of itself. And there are a lot of people to work with. Plenty of networking. Some employees, but mostly stakeholders. The direction is yours to decide, though. The priorities, the 5,000-year plans. I think I was getting more drunk the more she drank. So there's a devil, I said. What does God think about this? She laughed. What does God think about this role? This role is the only role where God's opinion, a boss's opinion, anyone's opinion, doesn't matter, a troop any fuck. Vox Populi, Vox Dei, Vox Diabolus, Vox Solus. When the devil's talking, it doesn't matter what anyone else says. But there is a God. Did the existence or non-existence of God truly matter to you at any point before in your life? No. Then why would it matter now? You're being offered the keys to the kingdom, literally, and you're wheedling to find out if you're going to get on someone's wrong side. Do you want there to be a daddy? She, it, she, whatever, had a point. What does the devil do? The devil does what the devil does, and everyone else can go to hell. Would would I have to live in hell? You'd be the devil. You'd get to decide what was hell and what wasn't. That's the point. We were back in the car, and she was having us driven somewhere else. Why me? I asked her. Most jobs have a personal specification, you know, but this role demands a direction rather than a specification. I respect your direction, your need for more. That's what's essential here. So it isn't anything to do with being, you know, evil. Well, if we can agree what evil is, then we could look at that question in more depth, I guess. Maybe evil's like porn. You know it when you see it. Maybe evil's just what the winner calls the loser, or vice versa. Or maybe your need for more, your ambition for more, your addiction for getting more is just more important to you than anything else. And the reason why you aren't sure about whether this is evil or that is wrong is because you left all those considerations behind you a long time ago. And they just aren't relevant anymore. But wouldn't you be looking for, I don't know, murderers, warlords, drug dealers? I've been watching you for a long time. I've been reading your diaries, looking under your bed. I think we both know why I think you're the one to be the very devil, don't we? I sat quietly. We're here. The car stopped. She led me through the zoological gardens. Children and their parents milled around us, but didn't seem to notice us. Being invisible would have appalled me yesterday, but felt reassuring just then. She pointed at the ant exhibit. They actually run raids on neighbouring ant colonies, she said, peering deeply into the swarming mass. She put her hand, her bones, on my shoulder and pulled me closer to the animals. They'll take the eggs of those colonies they invade and bring them back to their own nest. They'll raise the offspring as slaves. Mm. Slaves is the wrong word. They'll incorporate the offspring into their mass. The offspring will become part of the whole. That's all the colony is, really. A single whole, a single being, indivisible, a legion, a philosophy. An idea that incorporates all ideas. You can remove ants from the colony, of course but then you've just got a bunch of ants. And meanwhile the colony will still be there, and it'll continue to grow, at the expense of what isn't the colony, perhaps, but at least the colony controls its own borders. Exploitation, violence, murder, kidnap, enslavement, apathy. Is that evil? I'm not sure the question makes any sense. Why are we here? I asked. It's all part of the tour. Do you like an ice cream? We took our seats in the private box of the opera house just before the curtain. I felt that she hadn't stopped speaking since lunch, but I couldn't entirely remember what she'd been saying. It all seemed to boil down to my taking responsibility for my desires, for stepping outside of the, the hierarchy of society, of morality. I could feel her meaning, even if I couldn't articulate it properly. It was as if she had sensed some infernal glow in me and was stoking that pit, stoking that ambitious fire. She was only talking because I was listening. Wanting it isn't enough, she said, acting on that want, to the exclusion of everything else, that's what's important. Now, enjoy the show. It's all for you. Of course, it was Faust. However, she stressed that this was Spoor's book, not Guno's. I thought you'd appreciate the happy ending in this version, she grinned. After the show, we took cocktails at the top of the tower. Below us, the city glittered and growled. The heat from the streets barely reached us, but at least it was trying. The stars above seemed like they didn't give a fuck. Well, are you interested? I am, I said, willing to get in the ring. You mean there are other candidates? ''There are,'' she said. ''Six headhunters have been hired. I am one, of course. Each of us have identified a candidate. Now it goes to a vote.'' ''If I agree to get in the ring?'' ''Yes.'' ''Do you know who the other candidates are?'' I asked. ''I do.'' ''And you think my chances are good?'' ''I've met the devil. You're the spitting image, down to the bone. Best thing about the devil? No doubts at all.'' ''Why have you been taking me to these places all day?'' I asked. ''I want you to see where you'd be working. Get a sense of the place.'' This isn't hell, she smiled at me. It can be, if you want it to be. My whole life I'd wanted to take control, get higher. The only sin that I could imagine would be pretending that I didn't have that desire. Of course this was what I wanted. I accept, I said. And she took a step back and looked at me, face to skull. She cocked her skull and then stepped forward and kissed me. I felt the bones of her fingers trace down my spine, holding me in place. My tongue felt the cavern of her mouth. It was like coming home. Welcome to hell, said these bones from the pit. I woke up. Daylight had crept into my bedroom while I wasn't looking, was creeping around and fingering all my things. I would punish daylight for that. I would do a lot of punishing. My head ached with a blossoming hangover. She was no longer in my bed. She had brought us home five bars later. It had all been for free. It had all been endless. There had been no cost at all. Behind my shoulder blades I could feel bone grinding and growing. It was as if wings were pulling themselves to life, ready to carry me upwards. I felt, besides the ache in my bones, the thudding in my skull, something new in me. I felt an appetite I hadn't felt or hadn't appreciated before. An emptiness so colossal I'd never been able to fathom it until now. It was ambition, but ambition too keen to be called ambition. It was a leviathan hunger. I could feel it now, now that I could at last feel it. I could feel it. I could satiate it, at last. At last, I could be whole. The telephone beside the bed rang out. I took the call, it was her. Where are you? Why aren't you here? I asked. I'm still with you, silly. We're still in hell, aren't we? I didn't speak. Listen, bad news. The vote went against us, you didn't get the roll. They picked one of the others. I didn't speak. At least you tried. Try not to think about it. But she hung up. I listened to the deadline. I was so hungry. I'd never been that hungry before in my life. I couldn't imagine not being hungry again. An ant crawled over my hand. I would have killed it, but then there would have just been another. To be continued.